When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We are a top 10 uh, podcast for all of SB Nation college podcasting. Uh, this is Dive Cuts, season five, episode 22. Following up a, uh, a tough week of Missouri basketball. Um, I'm your host, Sam Snelling, with you as always. Uh, we're going to talk about some Missouri basketball. Uh, joining me from the uh, the soft plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm well. Um, got some rip-roaring news here. Um, my wife won free tickets to the Horizon League final in early March. So nice. I'm going to go watch some low to mid-major madness at the Indiana Farmers Farm Bureau Coliseum here. Um, will it be Cleveland State? Horizon League has fallen off. It a has bit. fallen off a little bit, but who knows? Who knows? Will it be Wright State? Will it be Cleveland State? Will it be Oakland? We're going to find out, and I will not have to pay to see who claims the automatic bid. So um, it's free basketball. Did, it's free uh, basketball, and I'm, I'm never going to turn my nose up at that. I did watch um, the end of... So, you know, for anybody who has Apple TV and uses their Apple TV to watch uh, Mizzou basketball games, you probably uh, deal with some of the same issues that I have with the SEC network. Uh, and I've discovered that um, the SEC network has this weird thing where it will pause yeah. uh, the feed like right at the end of the commercial break. So once the like a commercial pauses, uh, what I do is I make sure that my my feed is on like one of the quad feeds or, or dual feeds where I can pop in and out of it pretty easily. Uh, and I basically like uncheck the game and check the game and it picks the feed right back up. So that's like, that's my little hack. Um, and in doing that the other night, uh, <laughs> Oakland was taking on right state. Uh, I think I even put this in our little, our little Slack chat we have with, with Matt Watkins. Um, at Data Mizzou, go give that guy a follow. He's doing good stuff. Um, but Wright State and Oakland, uh, the Raiders of Wright State were actually um, on the road at Oakland and 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 stole a win. Um, I was most interested uh, because some uh, Missouri fans, if you follow recruiting hardcore, uh, you will re- you will remember the name Tim Finke. Uh, he had a brother. What was his brother's Michael. name? Michael Finke, who played at Illinois. Uh, and I want to say, like, their dad was, like, the coach of, like, Champaign yeah. High School or something like that. Um, and so everybody thought Tim was going to go to uh, Illinois. But, like, right at that time, I think uh, Gross got fired. Yeah. And, and uh, his brother transferred to Grand Canyon. 
And so Tim Finke, who early on in his high school career was like a top 60, 75 level player, uh, fell off a little bit, but he ended up committing to Grand Canyon. He is now at Wright State and, and, a, and a decent player for them. Yeah, Wright State's a fun little program under Scott Nagy there. Um, they've got uh, Dennis uh, Gates is up at Cleveland State. And um, yeah, it's a fun little league sometimes. They don't, obviously, they don't have um, Valpo or Butler anymore. Um, those they've moved on to bigger and better things, but depending on the right year, um, sometimes Northern Kentucky is really good in that league. Um, they've played that tournament the past couple of years. Um, I think up in Detroit, and they came back down to Indy. It's also a fun time because you get the Horizon League tournament here, and then later on in the week you get the Big Ten tournament coming back in. So that's going to be a a fun week of hoops here. Um, it's not quite to the level of the Power and Light District in uh, Kansas City, but when the Big Ten tournament shows up to Indy, it's it's really, really fun. Um, every Purdue alum and uh, IU alum usually lets out early on Thursday and Friday. They filter into bars here, and they usually get over to the field house to check out some of the games. And everyone's dumping tickets so you can get um, like a session tick for like half off. It's it's a fun week, and now I can squirrel away some more money uh, for some Big Ten tournament tickets and still see uh, the Horizon League. So it'll be a fun week, though. Uh, Dennis Gates maybe a name that um, Mizzou fans might put a pin in. Um, might want to put a pin in that one. Uh, he's done a good job at Cleveland State. Former uh, Leonard um, Hamilton assistant at Florida State. Mm-hmm. He's been there for three yep. years. Uh, cleaned up a little bit of the mess that uh, Dennis Felton left. Um, but Dennis found safe harbor with Kim English at George at George Mason. So <laughs> it, it it's six degrees of coaching search. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I made mention of the, the last week that was Missouri basketball. Um, we spoke, uh, last Sunday actually, um, because we were not doing anything on Super Bowl Sunday and, uh, Monday was Valentine's day and I figured it'd probably be a good thing to, to, you know, cook a meal for my wife. Um, so we recorded on Sunday, and we were previewing, talking about Arkansas and then two games against Mississippi State, and we both sort of said that um, this was going to be a tough week. Missouri was not really favored to get any of those wins, but if they wanted to sort of, you know, keep their coach around, they probably needed to pick up one. Um, they did not, so... <laughs> Uh, Arkansas hammered Mizzou. Uh, that appears to be one of those like uh, continuations on, um, you know, rivalry games, just really not going the Tigers way. Uh, and then they had a Friday and Sunday split, uh, home and away, uh, away and home, I should say against Mississippi state, uh, state hammered Mizzou in the first game. Uh, they lost by 19, um, and needed a little bit of luck to kind of get uh, over the hump at Mizzou Arena. Um, yeah, so Mizzou lost at home um, last night on Sunday by a bucket. Um, it was it was an ugly game. Uh, Mississippi State. I think I actually kind of tweeted like a, a rugby scrum. Um, basically said like this is what I see when when Ben Hallen and Kanza Martin teams, you know, play each other. Uh, And even though like, this isn't really like a normal sort of Kanza Martin roster, like how he would probably, you know, prefer to play at least, you know, from his 
you know previous teams um it it, it was it was still a slog for for a good 80 minutes of basketball, Matt. Oh, uh, yeah, there was about a fluid six or seven minute stretch out of the locker room in the second half, and I thought, oh, teams are running offense. We have real legitimate live shot making going on, and that stopped, and it, it got back into, um, you know, just two teams kind of turning it into a slog. That's what it's been between Ben and Conzo for the last five years. You know, they both are fine playing at a grinding pace. They're both fine. You know, being physical and playing positional defense, you know, forcing you to take tough contested shots. And realistically, you know, Mississippi State had more size to finish around the rim. They had more length to affect things on the perimeter. Anderson Garcia had a million steals, it seemed like, jumping into passing lanes. They <laughs> And realistically, at the end of the day, um, Mississippi State's got Iverson Molinar, who can create offensively for himself, and Missouri does not have that. Um, it's two teams with kind of the same, at least at this juncture in the season, the same kind of play style, but Mississippi State has a better roster, and you know that wins out. And even like the two games sort of play out, played out like we've seen the last four years. Missouri gets absolutely demolished when they go into Starkville and they make it a, you know, a, a real tough game and, you know, a close game when it's played in Columbia. So, you know, nothing there broke the larger pattern that we've seen from these two teams when they've met, you know, over the last four or five years, but that, that was not what was needed from Conzo Martin. He needed to probably pick up a win in one of those games, not to, you know, I think you said astutely, you know, there's not one result that's going to save or determine his job. But if you're going to try and begin, you know, mounting a final case, getting a win last week, again, in one of those meetings with Mississippi State would have been helpful. And um, that didn't come to fruition. So um, it is what it is right now. I mean, yeah, basically, like we um, we've sort of, We've known that this was going to be a long season pretty early on. Um, you know, like second game they lose to UMKC, and you're like, okay, like eh, I realize that there should there's going to be some growing pains. Um, you know, but if if you're going to be good or or decent, if you're going to be decent, you're probably not getting blown out by UMKC. And. Uh, and so, like at that point, you sort of readjust expectations, and you know, and then they they get blasted by Florida State, they get blasted by Liberty, they get blasted by Kansas and Illinois and Kentucky and Arkansas, and so you start to understand that, like, okay, there are things that you can afford to do, you know, and Conza Martin could afford to do coming into this season. And that series of results was like, not it. Like you can't, you can have a reset year, but you can't be non-competitive. No. Uh, and and early on for the first like half of the season, they were really non-competitive. They were number 250 team in Kimpom in terms, if like you took out the buffer, they were a sub 250 team in Kimpom. They were awful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no so, sugarcoating it. They were. They were abysmal. So whatever happened, happened, and and they they came back and found a way to be competitive. Uh, they beat Alabama. 
they did get torched at Arkansas, but then they really narrowly lost Texas A&M. Probably should have won that game. Uh, go on the road and just blast Ole Miss. Again, play tough against Alabama. Come home, play tough against Auburn. Get slapped around by Iowa State. Come back and really should have beaten Florida. Uh, so, like, all these things are going to be happening. And, and you start laying out, okay, like, if, if they're going to bring Conzo back, and there's a lot of there's a lot of money tied up in this contract, so it, it's in really the university's best interest uh, to to make sure that you know Conzo is succeeding. But at some point, like those results, they 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 pile up to the point where it it it's really difficult to make a case for bringing a guy back, and I think. The case to bring him back was like we had our struggles early, but we figured it out, right? Right. And and you know, then you're kind of getting back to okay, like the Arkansas game for me was the moment where you start to realize that they they didn't figure it out as much as they maybe found a glitch and they exploited that glitch temporarily. Yeah. I- so, yeah, I think I told you before we came on that their window of opportunity was really from tech between the two Texas A&M games. You know, the, I think they figured out enough, um, you know, sort of Rube Goldberg solutions offensively to make themselves competitive, <laughs> um, you know, ditched a lot of their ball screen action. A lot of stuff got funneled through the elbows. We saw some you know, schematic changes that were genuinely there. Um, but this is a league where, you know, you know, your, your rivals know you, they, they get film, they, you know, they mercilessly dissect it and know your personnel. And, you know, by the time they got to Vandy, you know, that they couldn't, you know, run some of the pinch post stuff that had worked for them a little bit. They weren't able to get some of the same stuff out of their horns action. They were able to, and, you know, people have focused on the offense a lot and rightly so. Cause the offense hasn't been good. It's not like you should not, you should just ignore the car crash that happened right in front of you. But you know, I tweeted this, you've said it, we've said it in different ways. The real problem here or what's been really jarring, at least to us is how porous this team has been defensively. Even when Missouri was showing signs of playing better, they were the same defensively. They figured out enough solutions on offense to make that, and I've said this a bunch, a bilge pump. They were able to get enough bad possessions defensively accounted for and sort of out of the boat to to keep themselves afloat for a little bit. But that's broken down. You know, Vandy and everyone else, you know, Arkansas and Mississippi State have figured out the scout. Those teams are also big enough and physical enough to take Missouri out of what it wants to do offensively. And Missouri just cannot get, you know, it can get stops, but then it, you know, gives up offensive rebounds or it fouls too much. <laughs> or as we saw against Mississippi yeah. State, it's live ball turnovers galore. They, maybe Missouri gets an initial stop, but the re- the rest of the deficiencies on this roster just make that impossible to, to keep them afloat at this point. And, it's broken down again. The offense is back to where it was. You know, Missouri was break even efficiency wise for those seven games. 
They're back to like minus 11 or 12 now in raw points per 100 possessions, which is where they were around the time they were getting absolutely slapped around by rivals in late December. They've, re- they've reverted to the mean and, you know, it felt like if you were Missouri, your window of opportunity to at least assemble a coherent case for staying was you needed to hold on for a couple of wins against Alabama, Auburn, Florida, or the first A&M meeting. Missouri didn't. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily even think that like they needed to go like, you know, seven 11 or, or, you know, eight and eight to, to sort of bring console back. Um, you know, they're like, they're sitting at what, you know, four and right. I I guess what I'm saying is those I'm saying in the context of this season where you're getting absolutely hammered early on picking up, if you're sitting at, six and eight right now with, you know, maybe a sweep of Alabama or a sweep of A&M and having held on against Auburn, you know, you're 13 and 14, you're close to 500. You can point to the mid season and say, look, you know, we've managed to try and keep this thing as close to 500 as we can. Is that persuasive? I don't know, but it's certainly better than, you know, letting four winnable games sort of elude you. and then reverting to form where you're getting pummeled again. And, you know, sat and Sunday was sort of the that side of the coin. You know, they played well enough for stretches offensively early in the first half. And then just, you know, for whatever reason, decided to go into game management more over the last five minutes and just open the door back up to Mississippi state and Missouri can't do that. Missouri's got to, you know, continue to press, continue to play, at normal game pace and, and give itself as much breathing room. There's not enough talent on this roster to just go into game management mode. And, you know, they let that one get away from them. And, you know, it's just hard to see now barring a, a four and run to close the year, what sort of opportunities are left to make a compelling case for, for this staff to stick around. Yeah. So before the season, um, you know, as we were previewing Missouri and I saw like the Kempom projections come out, I think we basically kind of talked ourselves into Missouri sort of exceeding expectations because the Kempom projections were sort of predicated on Collins and Martin fielding like the worst defense he had had at Missouri, uh, or really his, his, you know, coaching at a high major level. Um, if you take away, um, you know, the, adjusted uh, efficiency margins that he had at Missouri State. Um, his previous worst uh, defense was his second year at Tennessee when they were 101st. Uh, this year, they're 135th. Uh, the worst defense that um, they had under Martin at Missouri was 71st, and that was in year three. Um, you know, so I think one of the reasons why at least I was um, expecting them to be a little better coming into the year was because I just, I didn't expect to see this team be as, as bad as they are defensively. Realistically, I did see some kind of drop off because they, they were 57th last year. I think through Smith, uh, Jeremiah Tillman having, you know, like a guard on the outside. Who's, I mean, having yeah, two like all Bruce defensive Smith. level all league defensive players. I, he, he is just such a good um, perimeter. He's really good. <laughs> and then having a, yeah, a guy at the rim who can legitimately protect the rim and not just 
not just Jeremiah, but also like, you know, Mitchell Smith was a good switch guy. Uh, Mark Smith was good off yeah, the ball. Like he, he, he could lock could... and trail and stick with guys. No, Mark maybe wasn't as good on and the so, ball, like, but he could he could certainly trail guys and stay with guys off the ball. So Yeah. So you're kind of thinking, all right, they're they're not gonna be as good, but you know, are they gonna completely fall off? And they kind of have. Um so even if like they fielded the worst defense under Collins Martin. Let's say they're like 75th uh, in adjusted a uh, defense. Um, that, that's probably still good they're enough in the top for them if they to be in the top 100. And if I'm, I really think like if, if this Missouri team is in the top 100, then Collins is coming back for year six. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like I, everybody was sort of expecting uh, like, down year and we got it um but what happened was is, is the defense basically fell off a cliff the offense was about as bad as we could have imagined maybe like i don't think anybody imagined like you know boogie just not being able to sort of figure that out uh clearly there were ball handling issues kind of coming in those never got resolved by anything I mean, you could see a lot of that um, coming but they, i mean i wrote it in the preseason that you know the two big questions I tried to address in the preseason were who's going to continue to run your pick and roll based scheme and who's going to be your floor spacers. You were basically trying to hope that, you know, Jerron Coleman's last eight games was going to portend that he was going to become a competent sec starter, which was optimistic. Obviously you were, you know, and outside of that, like who, you know, I know that they wanted to try and run more through Kobe, but that's not Kobe's game. He's better initiating from the elbow in the mid post. A lot of the, you know, we didn't want to crap all over the Ross before we ever saw a gameplay, but you could read between the lines of those pieces and see like there were real questions about the internal projections that this staff used. But the thought process here was even if the offense is like, I thought 150th or something was within the realm of possibility here. I, I really thought the offense could, could be close to where as bad as it was just because they weren't recruiting guys who were, who had a deep sample size of shooting and they were trying to basically right. turn combo guards into point guards. But to your point, Zoe at least gets guys to defend at, at a adequate level for a high major coach. So you bank on that and think at least they're going to give themselves a chance defensively. And that just has not transpired at all. They've, I'm trying to think of, any, you know, maybe Amari's good some days on the ball. Maybe Dewan gets a matchup that works well. Dejuan gets a matchup that works well for him. Um, Trevin's good as a rotator, like you know rotational what? rim protector, but woo, when there's switches, it, it can be bad news. I mean, they, they, they they just hunt for Trevin on switches. If he gets switched onto a guard, like it's a layup because he's dropping to trail um, position. He's going to give up the angle of attack. It's yeah. So yeah, because he's 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 trying to get the you know the block from behind. And I mean these are these are high level SEC guards. Uh, you know they're they're used to guys doing that, so they know how to position their body. He's the and, rim as a shield. You know I do stuff. think I do think he's a guy that can figure that stuff out, but he hasn't. Right now, which, is, which to be fair is not a um, shock. He's a freshman trying to figure out how to be a switch defender. Exactly, he's a freshman on a bad team. Yeah. Like, 
yeah, like r- realistically, if 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 Missouri was in a better place and they bring in a guy like Turpin Brazil, like he's not starting. Uh, he's he's playing maybe fifteen minutes a game off the bench. Um, you know, they're they're able to kind of bring him along slowly. He's clearly the guy in the roster with the highest upside. Oh, yeah. And I think on a lot of a lot of rosters, he would probably still be that guy. Um, you know, but you are you are dealing with a guy who is is learning how to be a defender at this level and he has not figured it out. Uh I do sort of think that like we've talked about sort of, you know, Javon Pickett uh is a guy that you know, plays hard, doesn't always play smart. Uh, you know, Kobe is a guy who has never really been a good defender. He's he's good at sort of poking the ball loose. He's he's good at challenging, you know, shots around the rim and playing vertical. Um, sitting down and guarding. But yeah, but but being a good positional guarder, like that was never his thing. Like that was that was Drew and that was Mark. Um, Mitch was the switch yeah, defender the, 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 that you put on. Yeah. You put Mitch out there. And you'd sub out the offense because you'd have a guy who could switch and, and still kind of understand where he needed to be and help responsibilities and in rotations and just knew the scout. I mean, Mitch, there was a reliability with having Mitch in that sort of role last year that that lineups were better at times with him on the floor than Kobe because I think he saved you offense. And, and you know, when he took shots for the most part, Mitch took you know, high level shots, you know, if it wasn't a corner three, I mean, but he started to really trim that out. But <laughs> the yeah. point is the, they just haven't been good enough defensively to give themselves any sort of chance here. And, you know, I had him at 14 and 16 or 14, and 17, and I think um seven and 11. And, you know, people in preseason were like, you got to fire Martin if that if it's that bad, and you know that. Oh, great, we're expecting that in year five. And look again, and I've been a broken record. You want to see what that fourteen wins looks like. You know, you can. They're not going to get to fourteen now, so that's out the window. But you look at the composition of the twenty-seven games they've played so far. They're going to drop forty-five spots in Kimpom. That's an outlier. Like, if you had told me in the preseason, like Missouri's going to win twelve games. And they're going to be 140 in Ken Palm. I'm like, oh, well, then the seat's going to be warm. But we, you know, we had to let it play out and see what it was going to look like. Even if we were picking them 11th in in the preseason, you know, you still want to see them play the games. And it's, you know, even if you're not optimistic, it's it's far exceeded what the worst case scenario could be uh, for this roster, for this staff. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't think. Uh, so looks like I just pulled up the preview that I had. Uh, I projected them at 16 and 14. Um, had them beating UMKC and Liberty. Um, I didn't feel good about picking that Liberty win, but I'm like, well, you know, like if they're top 100, they should be able to at least be competitive in that game and hopefully pull it out. Um, Everything else is pretty much in line. I mean, I I had them beating UMKC. I had them losing to Liberty. Um, I had them beating A and M at home. So I probably would have had two more wins for them right now. And I gave them a home win over Mississippi State. So I would have had them at thirteen wins right now. Uh, going to George with George's their fourteenth win. 
So really, I mi- well, I did have them also beating Arkansas. Um, oh, I had them getting swept. Well, so my, my reasoning for that is, uh, like, since Mus has been there, you know, like they've they've split uh, the series in the regular, you know, conference play part of it for the entire time. So why not, you know, sort of stick with precedent? Um, you know, so I did I did have them splitting that series clearly. Uh, that was that was that was I mean, bad. The one thing I will say is, if not for poor late game execution in the first Aggies game in this weekend, I'm only one off what my preseason predictions were. Uh, but I did not. Re- and we've said this before: like you can lose to Kansas, you can lose to Illinois, you can lose to Arkansas. Those are better rosters. You can't get shelled by thirty plus points in those games. You just can't. Like that. That's the thing here. Like you can lose by ten. You can lose by fifteen. Even like that's well within what the Kim Palm projections, Torvik projections, every analytic system would have you at. And I would have said that's just the way it goes. It's not a great roster, but hey, but you can't get absolutely dusted by thirty-seven, or twenty-five, or forty-four, or nineteen. It just that can't happen. Like that's that's of a scale that's not tolerable. Even if you're even if the other team does have a better roster than you, it's that's what's put them in jeopardy. It's just the scale of those losses. Um. And the optics that come with it. So, yeah, so I, I do think that sort of, you know, transitions us into one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, um, which is sort of like the, you know, the late game stuff. There's a lot of people complaining about, uh, you know, late and and close games. And um, there's a certain writer, uh, I don't know, Brendan, is it Schaefer? Yeah, I think so. I've like I see him. I know he's a Cardinal writer. Like I've I've seen people kind of retweet him on Cardinal stuff. So you know, it's like one of these guys who's part of the issue with writing about Mizzou and Mizzou sports is like half of all media out in <laughs> out in the United States, like our Mizzou grads. At least it feels like that sometimes. Or Medill grads. Um, yeah, you know, and it's just like like that's there's always. Um, there's always somebody who's covering something somewhere else who's watching Mizzou sports because that's where they went to college. Um, you know, and, and so like, it was sort of brought up like, and, you know, uh, Brennan called him like Conza Martin, like the worst game manager, late game manager in the SEC or something like that, which is just patently absurd. Um, like, the reason that that Zoe is probably getting fired uh, is has nothing to do with his late game management. It's the fact that he's getting you know his doors blown off against rivals. You you can't lose the amount of games that they've lost by the amount of points that they've lost them by. You know, again, I rattled them off earlier. Like it's not going to be Texas A and M and Florida at home, Mississippi State at home. It's going to be losing by you know fourteen points to UMKC you know, getting beat by, you know, 20 plus against Florida State, 20 plus against Liberty, uh, 40 uh, to Kansas, uh, you know, 20 something to Illinois, 30, 40 something to Kentucky. Like, like this is just incomprehensible math. And 
all of those things come down to roster management. I fully support everybody's, uh, you know, want and need at this point to be angry at, at where the program is. You know, Kanza Martin should completely bear the responsibility of the roster that he built. It's it's on him. With that said, uh, like he's purely fine as a. He's got a 46% win percentage as, you know, in, in late game situations. That's around the NCAA median. Yeah, and that was in 20, 2018. Yeah. So, uh, and, and last year, Mizzou was great in, in five and <laughs> games that were, well, I think 5-0 and for single possession. Yeah, that, that's, um, but, that's, what I was, that's what I was going with, 5-0 and for single possession games. Yeah, so five and zero for single possession, but I was I think you have to expand the that two. out because like late and close, um, you know, like somebody makes a couple extra free throws when, you know, now now that lead that maybe was a single possession is now five, and so I you know for me it's like it's difficult to define, and I'd be you know, anybody that wants to send me a tweet and tell me what they think like, you know, the parameters should be like what you know, margin is what you consider close. I usually do six because it's two um, threes. It's two possessions. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if if you're within, you know, six points, um, yeah, like a couple of years ago, they, or not a couple of years ago, but last year when Missouri had a better roster and they had Drew Smith and Jeremiah Tillman, all of a sudden, like Consul Martin is a lot smarter in lat, you know, late game situations, and that's basically what it boils down to. Is like most coaches make all the same decisions. Like, legitimately, we we podcasted, we talked about the Auburn thing. I think like that was that's on Zoe. That was horrible game mismanagement. That was poor. But I think everybody deserves a mulligan. <laughs> I. As as a coach myself, my you know, like there there were a, a game or two where I did some things I'm like what? Well, that was dumb. Um, but in large part, like his decision making has been fine and sound, even against Mississippi State, it was fine. Yeah, I I'll walk through it in a way that hopefully is efficient and makes sense. If you want to. Because it seems to me the issue is, why didn't they call a timeout after the, the missed free throw? Well, because they had called the timeout at 10 seconds before Gilmore went to the line because you want to get your guys briefed on make and miss scenarios. You want to go, here's what's going to happen if he makes it, here's what's going to happen if he's going to miss it. Um, you want to brief your guys on, you know, here's what we're going to do if we, you know, see this coverage, what we're going to do, here's the thing we're going to run. You know, the grease board was out and they were even running through some stuff in the huddle. So, that was all being worked through. The thing you would have addressed in a timeout after the missed free throw had already been addressed. The issue that I see if you call timeout after the miss is this. You're letting state set its defense. That, that's not good. Missouri's not good. They were not getting anything done against Mississippi State in a set defense. I think Matt tweeted it out they had like a 35 percent effective field goal percentage against a set mississippi state defense and they were nine of 13 on shots taken in transition they were a lot better playing in transition but 
even if you set that aside, you don't want Mississippi State to get its defense set because you don't have ball handling. You've got to get the ball in. You've got to advance it up the floor. Maybe State throws out token pressure. So now you're not getting into your offense until five or six seconds. Missouri's offense is slow developing. Everything they run, whether it's through horns, whether it's through gut, whether it's even through like a chase action, they rarely ever get anything off the first action. Like even if they run their base set, like the, it takes five or six seconds to get that screen rescreen going. So what you're going to have is probably Missouri running some sort of drag action, step up screen. And maybe you pick a guy off. Maybe the switch everything doesn't work. Maybe you get downhill. You know who's waiting for you at the rim? Tolu Smith. You know why he's there? Because Mississippi State was able to set its defense. He was able to get back yeah. and set himself at the restricted area and wait for you there. So now you've got a team that's also poor at rim finishing against a set defense, trying to make a play over the top of Tolu Smith. Grabbing and going makes sense because now you're able to get teams in cross match and teams are just going to try and stop the ball and keep it on one side of the floor, which. That's what Mississippi State did. They got Tolu Smith on the left wing against Javon Pickett. That's a matchup you want. You want Javon in that situation. Coming down, big in space. There's basically nobody on the help side on that side of the floor. The issue is Javon decides to jack a three with 3.2 seconds left rather than attack the closeout and put rim pressure there. To me, everything that was done there made total sense within game flow. You'd had, even within the context of the game itself, Missouri had, had better success off its secondary break than running initial offense. Like, that's playing to the strength of your team. You've already gone through make or miss scenarios before the shooter's gone to the line. And here's the thing if you cross half court and you see, oh shit, states matched up, they're set, you've got one timeout pocketed. And so you can call timeout and get an ATO drawn up again. When the timeout was called was inconsequential to me. They'd gone over everything. They got a situation that works best for this team's talent level and its strengths. It came down to Javon Pickett deciding to take a three instead of driving the ball. Like, And that happens. Unless Zoe's going to get attacked by walking out there and shoving Javon to the rim. So it, I have... No qualms with, you know, not taking the timeout off the miss and letting State get set up. Just zero problems with it. The issue that you can point to is what you've talked about and I think is more relevant. The guy in that situation is Javon Pickett. The roster is at a point where you don't have an Iverson Molinar who's really, really, really good at driving the basketball and playing with pace. Missouri doesn't have a guy like that. Missouri did everything that you would probably want them to do in that situation, but his personnel wasn't ready or wasn't adequate to capitalize on it. And I think that's what, you know, rather than focus on, you know, whether or not, you know, you want to have a timeout there, focus on the fact that when Missouri got a pretty favorable situation, given what it has on its hands, it wasn't able to capitalize. I think you can trace it back to that more systemic problem than, a very specific final 10 seconds of that game. Right. And I think like that kind of goes back to sort of like the root of the argument that I was attempting to make on, on Twitter last night that, you know, the, the problems with Missouri basketball are not whether Conzo Martin called this timeout or, 
you know, ran this play or anything like that. The problems with Missouri basketball is, is Martin has not assembled a roster that's good enough to win games. And I, like, I think this is, this is like a difficult thing for, you know, for, for some, some fans, because I think, you know, people that are deeply involved in basketball, and I really don't think, uh, and I'm assuming that people listen to this podcast are probably of like mind that you and me, and that we, you know, we maybe are a little too into basketball, but for for people that are more casual sports fans that like watching basketball and tune into Missouri games because they're a Mizzou fan, like coaching basketball is not like being a baseball game manager. It's not like being the f- head coach of a football team. Like coaching basketball is is a lot more like being a hockey coach or soccer coach. Right, like you you do so much prep and you practice and you do all these things, you, you create reps and like everyone who wants to maybe get on, you know, Zoe for quote, letting Javon Pickett like shoot a three in that scenario. Like, you know, Konzo has been in the media all year long talking about how this team needs to understand who it is. If he's telling the media that much <laughs> that this team needs to understand who it is, then you know he's drilling that into the heads of his players. But as much as you like want these players to go out and just be robots, they aren't. And and when you put the ball into play in basketball and in soccer and in hockey, like the game just sort of happens. And sometimes things don't go the way that you want them to. It's frustrating. But the main reason why Missouri is not winning games is not because Conzo Martin can't coach. He's a fine coach. Is he the best coach in the SEC? No. Is he the worst? No. There's this giant middle where Conzo Martin exists. Um, and it's, it's a perfectly adequate coach. Like I, I, I've never had a personal conversation about the details of basketball with Conzo Martin to know like his basketball acumen, but I've seen enough of his teams to know that they're pretty well coached. Like he's not Jay Wright. He's not <laughs> like coach K he's not. not yeah. Like he's not this, this, you know, guy, but most coaches are fine. It just ends up like who has the better dude that night. And most nights, Missouri doesn't have the better dudes. Like that's just, that's, and that's the fault of the head coach. Like it's it's his program. He picks the players. Um, that's that's basically like the argument that I have for all the people that want to you know want to attack these these details of the game and not acknowledge the broader program issues. Um, and and again, like I I have talked, and you and I have been doing this podcast. The entire time Conzo Martin has been a head coach, we've we've talked a lot about his rosters. We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the personnel decisions that that he's made and and the the teams that he's fielded. We have our own opinions on whether something was good or not, and 
sometimes we're right, sometimes he's right. But for the most part, like the issue with with Conzo and and where this program is, is he and his assistant coaches have not assembled a roster that is talented enough to get away with with you know being anything less than perfect and winning a game in the SEC. And that's not going to happen. I mean, I'll have a piece out tomorrow, sort of walking through a little bit of the recruiting stuff and in how, you know, Missouri, hard as it might be to believe, Missouri's recruited to where its spending would tell you it should. Like, people are going to be like, that's not possible. Well, it is. I mean, the, for what Missouri spends, they recruit at a commensurate level to that. The problem is you didn't hire Conzo Martin to get equal return. You didn't hire Conzo Martin to rely on guys who were 180, 190, 225, 250 in the composite index. You hired Conzo Martin because you believed that he was going to be a guy who could get you surplus value in every way for your program. And the chief job of a coach is to identify talent and develop it. And that hasn't been consistent enough here. Martin, the kind of talent that he brings in is the kind where your hit rate on development has to be really, really high. And those guys have to, can't just flash. They can't do what Xavier Pinson's done last year. They can't do what Kobe Brown has done against small lineups this year. Those guys have to be so well-developed, they can become every night contributors for you. And that simply hasn't happened here. And the guys they have gotten who have, you know, would qualify as upper end pieces for Missouri, the Trey Jacksons, the Mark Smiths, the Torrance Watsons haven't panned out. Now, is that all on the staff? I don't want to say that, but lots of staffs, you know, get guys who are highly rated and who maybe don't click right away and it takes a little bit of effort to get something out of them. But Missouri just consistently has not gotten the kind of return that you need to see from, you know, a top 120 level kid in Torrance Watson or a top 80 kid in Mark Smith, even if you got him out of the portal or a top 85 kid in Trey Jackson, they've gotten guys who maybe they're not one and done or two and done guys, but can grow into reliable, you know, rotational pieces, good starters for you. And they haven't gotten that, you know, in the piece I talk about, you know, Trey Jackson leaves and goes to Seton Hall where he's a sixth guy for Seton Hall, but he's a really good defender for them. He rebounds really hard. All the things Missouri couldn't get him to do, but Kevin Willard got him to do it. He's become a good piece for that team. Missouri goes into that spring and they get Ed Chang out of the Juco ranks. Ed Chang doesn't see the floor at all and he transfers out. I think he's like at Jacksonville now or, or somewhere in the A-Sun. And so now you go and you go back into the portal and you get Ronnie DeGray, who I think Ronnie DeGray is a, on a high major team can be a really good sixth, seventh, eighth guy in your rotation. But he's now your fourth or fifth guy in the span of. Well, he's also like he's he's been through a lot of games like Missouri's second best player. Right, right. And that's that's a problem. So you've gone from a top 100 guy in Trey Jackson to within the span of two years. Ronnie DeGray. And that's not a slight against Ronnie DeGray. It's just when that's happening consistently across your roster, you're just not going to be able to be competitive to the level that you want. 
your your hit rate has to be so insanely high that to offset that and and this staff just hasn't shown the ability to do that and that's what's going to get them you know looking strongly like they're going to have to be looking for jobs elsewhere because they just could not keep together the composite pieces that you need to be competitive in this league you know it's just been too inconsistent and all the stuff that we talk about like the and I get why fans get fixated on like stuff like the in-game scenario because that's a it's a real easy way to sort of point at something and say that's wrong that didn't go right but the root of this is that they just haven't built rosters to do what they want to do and you know Conzo used the latitude and political capital he had this year to put this roster together and it was so ill-fitting that you know it's strong looks like he's probably gonna be out of work in a couple of weeks it's there's no reason to get fixated, I think, on the end of game decisions because the bigger systematic stuff is right there for you to see too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've said all I need to they're, say. They're gonna play. <laughs> we're at the stage now where they're going to play two games this week, and we're going to watch them play. And you know, you're not gonna you're gonna have to resist the temptation to draw any larger conclusions out of what we've seen here you know if hey hey matt i I would like to point out that at risk here at risk council martin has not lost more than four games in a row since he's been at missouri they uh they have had i think they had two four game losing streaks if i remember correctly a couple years ago um, they had a four-game losing streak earlier this year when they lost at Alabama, lost Auburn, lost Iowa State, and then lost to Florida. They beat Texas A&M to end that losing streak. They are at three losses in a row with a a game against Tennessee and a road game against LSU, two teams that are top 20 in, in Ken Palm. LSU's top 20 is uh, heavily reliant on their defense. Uh, And they haven't quite been the same team here of late. Um, Tennessee is uh, pretty good, 19-7. Just lost, only scored 48 points uh, at Arkansas. Um, So altogether, like, not games that I, I think you would just sort of put completely in the unwinnable category. But if Missouri loses both of these games, it will be the first time uh, under Conza Martin that the Tigers have lost uh, as many as five games in a row. The timing would be fitting under the circumstances for that to happen. I like. I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep sending out the metrics after the game because, to me, you got to have the whole body of work at the end of the year, um, just for the sake of having know the proper context as you evaluate what this roster looks like um but yeah uh, you know you're not playing out the string here but i think it's just hard for me to draw any i just don't want to get into a situation where we're saying this one game saved his job it i think we're past that point like you said it's you, you just want to see how much fight does this team have left how much you know 
collective, you know, goodwill do they have for each other? And then, you know, we're going to let, you know, the, the university's people in C-suites, you know, <laughs> decide what they want to do, but presumably the money's there. Um, the chatter wouldn't have been con continuing the way it has if, um, you know, advancement folks hadn't done their job and placed calls and gotten <laughs> uh, money lined up. Uh, we'll see if it gets used or what it looks like. Missouri's not, Missouri has to basically negotiate an exit agreement. They can't just do a straight firing. Zoe's contract doesn't allow for that, but um, the on-court stuff isn't, I don't want to say it's completely inconsequential, but um, it's importance, I think, sort of is diminished over the next four weeks. So, um, but we're going to keep following. We're going to keep watching it and seeing and talking about it because uh, that's what we do. Um, we're, we're gluttons that way. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, George is in a bad place. They're probably making a change as well. Um, They've lost um, seven in a row. Yeah. Yeah. They're at seven in a row. Um, they're at A&M tomorrow night, um, home against Florida, home against Tennessee, and then in Columbia. Um, South Carolina is showing a little bit of fight. Um, they, Frank Martin, man. They've won three in a row. They rallied back from 11 down against LSU. In the other Columbia, you just had to know that Frank Martin was going to find a way to get to like you know, at least five hundred in league league play. <laughs> like he's just the only year like the man has, they get hasn't done they get that was last year. They get Mississippi State in Columbia on Wednesday, and they get Miz never underestimate. He may Frank get Martin. to nine and nine, <laughs> and you know, given everything that South Carolina sort of puts into that program and sort of that it's behind baseball and football there and even women's basketball, I'd argue that, you know, South Carolina basketball and men's basketball might be fourth at that school. He's, he's doing, he's yeah. getting everything out of it. The question is, does he just want to keep grinding his gears there for 500 finishes or does he want to go to a, maybe a, a better mid-major plus program where he might be able to, to win some stuff some more. So I don't know, but Never doubt Frank Martin's ability to get to nine or ten wins against the SEC schedule. <laughs> it's it's a fallacy to doubt him. It's 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 wrong. You shouldn't do it. Um, and looks like he's gonna pull it off, or he could pull it off. So uh, Tennessee and LSU this week. Uh, we will come back next week and we will review those games. Um, and you know, probably do some light preview of South Carolina and Georgia. Uh, the next week, but yeah, there's just two weeks left of the regular college basketball season. We move into SEC tournament uh, the week following, and then decisions are made. Um, I think a lot of us kind of have a feeling on where this is going, and whether or not we're going to have a coaching search, it will all be covered um, at Rockham Nation. Anything else for you want to get to before we get out of here? No, just uh, I, I get people's frustration. Um, but uh, again, just put your frustrations into the right place. Like, be frustrated that the roster is bad. Like, the game management part of it is actually fine. The people ask <laughs> me, know, there's only so much, only so much you could do, and like, you know, Boogie Coleman is your absolute best ball handler, and I don't, I don't mean that to disparage Boogie. Like, he's just not that guy. He's never been that guy. He shouldn't be that guy. 
if like I've said, if he were a second side guy, you could he might work. It's just he's he's not in the right spot. And but we're coming to the end of it. Uh, it I, as cathartic as it'll be, there and we'll get to it if there's a search. There there are other there's other issues that Missouri's going to encounter as they go through it. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But there's still four games left, and then whatever comes after that, um, we'll be ready for it. So, uh, with all that said, make sure that you follow Matt on Twitter. Also follow uh, Matt Watkins at Data Mizzou. Um, Matt Harris is uh, Matt J Harris eighty five. Yep. Like I always have to hesitate because I have to think about it. Uh, I am at Sam T Snelling. You can see me get into fights with people on Twitter uh, and tweet about whiskey. Uh, that seems to be the all that's happening these days. Um, hopefully, uh, by the time we join you next week, we are not involved in World War III. Um, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. It gets beamed right down to your phone. That's a, kind of a cool feature of, of having these, these advanced cell phones. Do all that stuff for you. Um, if you have any questions, you can let us know. We'll try to fill them next week. Uh, and we'll be back next week with more dive cuts. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Thank you.